you're listening to How I See It, hosted by Han. You guessed it, that's me. I am here to motivate and inspire you with guests from all different industries and backgrounds. So get ready for personal stories of success, of growth, full of highs and lows, and of course, unapologetic realness. This is How I See It. Okay, you guys, I have Emily Tish Sussman on the podcast. She is the voice behind She Pivots, which is this awesome podcast that's pretty much at the forefront of conversations that challenges traditional ideas of success and brings our personal lives back into the discussion. And most of your, all of your guests are women, right? We've had an occasional man, but okay. it's almost entirely women. Okay. I love that. So happy to have you on. I can't wait to hear your story because I've heard little bits and pieces from your team, but I've been itching to hear your actual story because I know that it's like enwrapped in politics and now you're a podcaster. So if you could just start from the beginning of like how you even got to She Pivots, love, love, love to hear it. I'm so happy to have you on. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Um, what a what a journey it's been. It's been a, a lot of a lot of twists and turns. Definitely did not think this is where I was going to end up or what I was going to be doing. Um, I worked on political campaigns like right out of college, wow. and I was like, I love this. I am so good at working on campaigns. Like, I hadn't actually been very good academically. Like, I hadn't been very good in school. So, working on a campaign was the first time that like it clicked for me. And I was like, I am good at this. Like, I have skills. I am maybe even smart. I didn't think I was before that. So after the first campaign I worked on, we lost right out of college. And then I went to law school right away. Okay. And where and did you go, like, grow up? Like, is where was this all happening? Oh, yeah. So I grew up in New York City. Okay, wow. Super yeah. cool. I grew up in Manhattan, in the city. So there wasn't a lot of, like, diversity of thought, I would say, where I grew up. Like, I grew up in, like... A progressive Upper West Side, went to like a progressive private school. Um, but I did think that I felt like a real burning inside of me to, to do something. I didn't know what something meant, but I knew like I had to do something to help other people to make the world better. Like I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And, and working on a campaign like clicked. So I'd worked on campaigns in and out of law school, but then when I graduated, so I, I graduated with a degree a law degree in constitutional law and family matrimonial law. So I had a double wow. concentration in law school, particularly to help LGBT families was what okay. I wanted to do and ended up working in military policy. So insane. <laughs> <laughs> the quick pivot, the quick yeah. switch as naturally the, one does. The first pivot has happened. <laughs> yeah, the first has happened. Um, so I graduated law school in 2008. So I went straight to work on Barack Obama's first campaign. So I wow. moved to Pennsylvania. How on the legal that? Team. Like, how, how does one even like, how connected, like, I'm so not in that realm. Like I graduated with a major in poli sci. I was actually going to go to law school, but like, how involved are you like with actually being close to Obama? Not close at all. I mean, I was in one of the most important States. I was in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So he would come through for like large rallies, but that was kind of it. Mostly I worked in the Western half of the state. So like Pittsburgh, Johnstown, organizing lawyers to be okay. staffing polling locations on election day to making sure that everybody who wants to vote gets to vote. 
Okay, cool. And that may sound really obvious if you live in a state that doesn't have a lot of voter intimidation. Unfortunately, Pennsylvania has a lot of voter intimidation. So there were things like people going into low-income neighborhoods and, and like hiring people. This actually happened, by the way. Hiring people to sort of like have whisper campaigns up and down the line to be like, hey, do you know that if you vote, they're going to check your name against the legal system? And if you owe child support, they're going to arrest you? Wow. Yeah. And then we would see people like jump out of line. So we would staff lawyers at different polling locations to make sure that everybody who showed up wanting to vote knew what their rights were and got to vote. That's awesome. That's what I did on the Obama campaign. And that was great. But I had to go back to New York to take the bar after we won. And then after that, I was like, well, what do I do now? I guess I'll, I don't know. It feels like everyone's going to Washington. So I said, <laughs> like, like, never... I'm following them. <laughs> yeah. Like never occurred to me to leave New York. Like I grew up in the city. I went to college upstate. I went to law school in the East Village. Like it had never occurred to me to leave. Yeah. But at that moment, it just felt like everybody who wanted to change the world was going to Washington. So I just kind of like called in all of my coffees, like everyone that I had worked with on the campaign knew. And a very close friend of mine had just actually been elected as a member of Congress. And he said to me, he's like, I just took over as the lead sponsor of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal bill. So to get rid of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell law in the military, which so the Don't Ask, Don't Tell law, which now feels so it feels such a long time ago. Yeah. But it, yeah, yeah. It, it was the most discriminatory federal law that we had. So it was the most discriminatory law in the country, which said that if you serve in the military and somebody finds out that you're gay, you have to be kicked out of the military. Like you, there's no discretion. Like you have to lose your job. Wow. So I worked on repeal of the law, getting rid of the law. So yeah. I, he was like, I'd love for you to come back and work with me on this. So I went to the only nonprofit in the country that was dedicated to helping the service members. We were their actual lawyers, like as they were getting, yeah. um, as they were getting investigated and discharged. And I worked on the policy side, which meant that I worked, I was a lobbyist in Congress. I worked with the Pentagon on the largest personnel study they've ever done. So insane. Um, I learned all sorts of things that I didn't know. I'm not from military family. Like it was, that was like culture shock to wow. me. Wow. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> that was <laughs> like, all new. Literally insane. It was insane. And I got really incredible opportunities. Like I worked with Lady Gaga and threw a rally in like 36 hours in Maine. Um, and we repealed the law, which was the best opportunity of all. Like we actually yeah. made an impact in the people's lives that we were working so directly with. And that, like that feeling was such, it was so gratifying and was such a high like that kept, like that was addictive. Like that kept me going. Yeah. I feel like just even in like, obviously what I do is such a lower scale than that. But like, I just feel like when you have direct contact with a community and you see the impact that you're making, because a lot of times when you're in these types of like fields of work, you don't really get to see the impact you're having on the actual community that you're working for. Being able to like, see the like difference and impact you're making, whether it's inspiring people or actually changing laws. It's very gratifying to like yes. see the work you're putting in actually pay off. Yes. Unbelievably so. I mean, I was with the service members who had been discharged under the law sitting in the Senate gallery when they passed the law and everyone's, I'm like going to cry. Wow. Like, like everyone's crying. I mean, one of my best friend was a, a tank armor officer. He was kicked out of the army, was able to re-enroll, um, recommission as a Navy officer. And he's now the secretary of the VA for the state of Maryland. Wow. So, like you, we really, like we were very close with, to, to the people impacted. And it was so, it's hard to get a job where you do both, honestly. Like yeah. You either have, or usually have jobs where you have like individual cases and you work with people individually, 
or policy jobs where you change laws. Like it's actually very rare to be so close on both sides. That's so cool. It was an incredible experience. I feel like I've been like chasing it ever since. Um, (laughs) So I, I mean, I stayed on with them about a year to help the military implement the law. And then I went to go run it was re- Obama's reelection was coming back. So I ran the Young Democrats of America for Obama's reelection. So organizing okay. all the young people. And at that point, I started going on cable news. So wow. I started becoming a talking head, like going back and forth with like the surrogates from the Republican campaigns. That's insane because it's almost like foreshadowing what you're going to eventually do. Like I'm assuming <laughs> at that point you weren't like thinking like my face is going to be on camera on the news and I'm going to start talking. Oh my God. I had never even considered it. Yeah, like I had never crazy. been on the record. I had never, I had done like musical theater growing up, but like yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't even that great at it. Like <laughs> also like the fact that I also did musical theater, like, or is everyone in musical theater? Just like, if you don't end up on Broadway, you're doing something in front of the camera, whether it's on social media or somewhere else. <laughs> um, or running the world. There's an op-ed yeah. in last week's New York Times and la- the Sunday Times about how theater kids are running. Oh, no, it was the style section. The Sunday style section last week, how theater oh kids are running the world. Oh, yes. I love that. <laughs> you knew it. Theater kids are running the world. But no, I mean, I, I like I'll say anything. Like I was like, you can't put me on camera. Like you can't put me in front of a reporter. Like. I'm a loose cannon, I think is were the words that I used. Um, <laughs> they were like, great. You're so like, I, awesome. I'm unfiltered as fuck. Like, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> you'll see it all. So I ended up on cable news almost every day, sometimes more than once a day. Like I started on Fox News. Wow. I ended up and with, and that went for the next almost 10 years. Like I went between CNN. Sometimes I'd be on there the most. Sometimes I'd be on MSNBC the most. Um, but yeah, I ended up on cable news. And was that news. scary? For you at first, or was it just like whatever? I'm just gonna treat this like no, no big deal. No, it was terrifying. Like when I started, it was terrifying because it's so there's so much um, buildup, like in the actual like hours and minutes to you going on. Oh, like you have to get yourself into the studio. Like the hair and makeup for Fox News takes an hour. Like it takes 45 minutes in your face and 45 minutes on your hair. And if they can do them at the same time, it takes. 45 minutes, but if they do them, one, if it's only one person, then it takes you like an hour and a half and you're just like sitting oh there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But like, you can't think too hard about it because yeah. you have these like very tight time segments that you're able to speak for. Yeah. And like, you want to actually be responding to the host and you want to be natural and like, how are we going to get your points in? And like, I'm a democratic strategist. Like I was, I was sitting in the Fox news green room for hours at a time. Like it wasn't like I was in like friendly territory. Yeah. there's like a timer counting down the seconds till you go live yeah there's timers counting down then you sit then you sit for like 15 minutes in like a freezing cold box if you're not on set with the camera and the other funny part of it is that the dc bureau of fox news the green room is tiny like you're sitting on it it's like as big as my little podcasting room here like you're sitting in each other's laps and so often they would have me debating a republican strategist or someone like a representative of the campaign And so we'd be sitting in the green room together oh my for gosh, like so an awkward. hour. Yeah. And then you go on air and you fight like hell and you come off and you're like, okay, that was great. Thanks. See you you're like, time. it's been real. Yeah. Do you know like, to get a good bite around here? <laughs> yeah. It's like, let me know what's going on with your puppy. Like, so good to see you. <laughs> That, that happened awesome. like on a daily basis. Some, there were a couple of them that would try to like fight with me on Twitter. And I was like, they. Ew. <laughs> 
like ick. <laughs> we, we do this on air like we don't really we don't like make this a whole thing no one's recording <laughs> literally like let's <laughs> like I, I don't like walk around my life acting like I'm in a Fox News segment like <laughs> oh my god can you imagine life would be a lot harder than it needs to be <laughs> sounds exhausting yeah so how did you go from that to like is was that your last stop no I kept going oh my god <laughs> No, I kept going. So from Young Democrats of America, I went to the largest progressive think tank in Washington. Wow. And I ran campaigns and strategy there for about six years. So the Obama, what that means is that like the Obama White House would outsource campaigns to me to run yeah. for them. Um, I ran our rapid response. I did, I worked with all of our policy teams across the board. So I got to work on like a huge variety of policy issues, like wow. everything from like defending the Affordable Care Act to DACA and immigration to climate. Like I worked on every issue across the board. Guns, I spent a lot of time working on guns. I ran the only campaign that defeated the NRA. Um, wow. In like um, two decades. Um, and I got to do incredible work there, but it was very fast paced. Yeah. And in I can that I would assume so. It sounds, it's so cool, but it does sound exhausting. And it sounds like something you maybe can't do forever. I thought I could do it forever and I okay. wanted to do it forever. But then I got married and immediately got pregnant, like faster, like way faster than I thought was possible, to be honest. Like the minute I went off birth control, I was like, oh, it'll take me a year. No, no it was a surprise. I was like, pregnant. you're just fertile as fuck. <laughs> oh, well, wait till you hear the rest of the story. Oh, God. Then I got pregnant when my baby was eight months old. I got pregnant again. Oh my goodness. And then when the next baby was not even one and a half, I got pregnant again. Oh my gosh. I am fertile as fuck. Oh, I had. <laughs> Were you working during all of this too? Yes. Oh yes. my gosh. So I was at the think tank for the first two babies. And in that was also the beginning of the Trump administration, wow. which changed my job very significantly. For me, in particular, mostly because the pace was a lot faster because yeah. nobody knew what policies he was going to announce. Like, it wasn't like there was like a briefing to the press beforehand and then there was the policy rollout and then yeah. there was like the brief, like none of that happened. It was like he would see Twitter Friday nights and Sundays. That's when his staff would give him his phone uh -huh. and he would just like tweet new policies depending on what he was <laughs> seeing on Twitter. So chaotic. <laughs> so chaotic. And part of my job was to organize the think tank's policy response, like our substantive wow. response to these new policies. But if Friday nights and Sundays, I have no childcare. So I was like on TV every weekend, we're organizing every weekend with pregnant when I was sick as fuck pregnant. Oh my gosh. You have like a trash can like behind the freaking news thing and you're like literally, on literally. <laughs> I you're pretty much pulling like a superwoman moment. Let me tell you time. something. I puked all over Iowa in the Des Moines caucuses. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. That's actually insane. I don't know even know how you did it. Like we're talking like, about it and laughing about it, but like it probably wasn't funny in the moment. It was not funny. I was like, my life is over. I will never move again. Like if I move a pinky, I puke. So like I'll just never wow. move from this bed and this empty pizza box that is next to me in bed. That is like oh, all God. I can handle. <laughs> That's insane. So it, I'm sure it hit a point where you were like, this is not sustainable. It did. At the end of my maternity leave for the second kid, I was like, I just can't go back to that same pace. Like, I got to figure out something else. Yeah. So I left the think tank without 
honestly like an idea of what I was going to do. But so I went into independent political consulting and I ended up working for Swing Left um, for the 2018 midterm elections. I organized like basically celebrities all over the country to help Democrats in House races. But like, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like now I have two kids. Like, I don't really know what I'm like, how I'm going to sustain a consulting career. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And then I started a political podcast on top of it, which I loved doing. And then I had the third, oh, I was going to about to have the third kid going into the 2020 presidential election. And so I was like, I'm good. I'm good. Like I know how to work and have kids now. Like I can totally do this. Um, and three weeks after yeah. she was born, the world's locked down in a global pandemic. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So, so I now have a two-year-old, three-year-old and a three-week-old. Oh. <laughs> and... and there was just no way I was going to be able to work on the presidential. Like, yeah, no, like not going to happen. But that was really real. Like that, I mean, that part, like I'll laugh about all of it, but like that part was like really soul crushing to me because I was just going to ask you, like, this is, you've had to make like so many intense pivots. And I think you like stick, you obviously like stayed in your wheelhouse a bit, but that last one, especially as like everything kind of combusted, like how do you, how did you cope with that pivot? Because I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast too are trying to figure out like how to go after their dreams and like continue pushing and like continue more like money streams, but also like continue to do what they love. And I feel like there's kind of a grieving process that happens when you have to either add something to your business that you thought you weren't going to have to do or change completely. Yeah. A grieving process is such a good way to put it. That's exactly what I felt. Like I felt like my whole identity was tied to being really good at being a political strategist. Yeah. And like, I really didn't find identity validation from quite frankly, anything else, like not really from being a mother. I didn't really feel a connection to my babies. It wasn't until they hit like two. Yeah. That I was into them. And I felt like a lot of guilt that. I was that. into them. <laughs> yeah, now I'm super into them. But like at the time I was like, no, oh my God, you're I, so annoying. You're real for that. Because I feel like not enough women talk about, especially women who are like very in their career. Like I'm very career oriented. Like I have a lot of friends who like already are thinking about like, I just want to be a mom. And that's great. But that's like never been me. And so I think there's a lot of women who feel like this guilt almost too for like not wanting to like when the pivot comes have to pivot to motherhood completely. It's just, it's not everyone's like dream. You know what I mean? No. Like, I mean, I literally never thought about it. Like I just did not, even when I was pregnant, like I just knew that I wanted to stop being pregnant <laughs> because I'm so sick. <laughs> but like, I, it feels ridiculous when I say it, but I was honestly surprised when there was a baby at the other end of the pregnancy. I was like, well, now what? <laughs> Like all you I just knew disassociated was- the entire friend. You were too busy cleaning up all this political mess. You're <laughs> like, when the baby comes, I will deal with it. Right. I was like, I guess I'll figure it out. I don't know. But like, I didn't really figure it out. I mean, I kept them alive, but like, <laughs> I, like I didn't really figure it out. Like I real, I thought that something would kick in and it didn't for me. And like not feeling particularly maternal with them as babies kicked in, like, taking care of them didn't particularly kick in. Like I, I had to like go, I mean, I never read a book. I never went to a class. Like I was just in total denial that there was going to be a baby. And now I feel like as a parent, so my kids now, so like a little bit older now, if you can like track the baby against the pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) So now they're seven, five and three and, and you know, they are, they're not in diapers. They have personalities, they have individual thought. And I, I'm pretty proud of the way that I parent now. And I think that part of it is because I figured it out myself. 
Like it was super hard when I was in it because I just felt like I was doing everything wrong. And like, everyone was like telling me like, this is the thing to do. This is the thing to do. And like, none of it really resonated. But now like I know that my choices are my own. Yeah. I think there's a lot of pressure in anything we do to like, feel like we have to follow like what everyone else is doing or like the rules of which you're supposed to start something or like you, everyone thinks they're supposed to have it figured out. And like, we all say it all the time, like fake it till you make it, but like, you're essentially doing that in like every aspect of your life. And I almost feel like there's an anxiety at the beginning of that, but it's almost more empowering when you figure it out yourself with anything. Yeah. I think that's totally right. It's like, I'm a big trial and error person. Like I really don't, I don't have a lot of like anxiety to start something like I, that does, that doesn't hold me up, which has positives and negatives. I mean, it means that I can go on Fox news and debate people all the time. And like, that's fine. And then I just like try a bunch of different ventures and like, that's good. It also means that I have to have like a pretty high tolerance for failure and for rejection. Mm -hmm. that like I just started a podcast that has nothing to do with my background like I I was nervous about it so the the place that should probably circle back to this how did we get to she pivots so that it was that I was so lost in my identity and I felt like all of the conversation that was out was about like work-life balance or like what if you feel like torn between the two and like I didn't like I didn't feel torn I wanted one direction I wanted work but it was physically impossible for me. Yeah. And so I needed to have a perspective shift on what was actually possible for me in that moment and like what was realistic. And so I had to okay. change what my definition of success was because my definition for my sex for success at the time for myself was like run a campaign, work on a presidential, get to the White House. Right? Like those were the metrics of success, none yeah. other. And yeah. those things were not accessible to me. So like I could just walk around being depressed about it or I could try to figure out how to change it. Yeah. It's so good. You said that too, because I feel like even in what I do, like social media is constantly changing. And like, if you tie too much of your identity into like outcome, you're just going to be a hot mess all the time. I went through that this year where like things started to slow down. And I realized through this time that I was like so tied to like my business continuing to go up and the opportunities continuing to come in and getting involved in this and that, that when it slowed down, I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm failing or like I'm a failure or I'm not good enough. And I had to kind of sit down and reevaluate like, what does it mean to actually be successful? And like, how am I going to continue to pivot and shift, which you're a professional at, which is why I'm happy you're here because pivoting is hard. And like, I know that you you're sitting here saying that like, I had to redefine like what success looks like and pivot, but like that is incredibly hard. And like, what were the steps you had to kind of take to like get to a place where you felt good, like going through your everyday motions? Yeah, it was dark. No, it definitely was hard. I felt like the process that I went through that I'm honestly still constantly reevaluating and going through is that I figured out, like I, I really drilled down into what are the things that I want to be doing And what are the things that I want to get rid of? So like in that moment for me, it was that I want to be doing impactful work that, that, that helps people. And the only paradigm I knew how to do it at that point was changing laws, but that wasn't available to me. So I had to get rid of that paradigm and I had to start to think about culture change, culture change through telling stories of women who had come up against some kind of adversity and found a different kind of success. Yeah. That was really important to me. Because that's what you were going through. It was what I needed. In a bit. Yeah. 
it is, I mean, so honestly, cool. like I tell these stories because it's literally what I needed and still need that it's, and that, so those are the women that I interview on She Pivots is it's not just someone who just like took a change because they were like, oh, I'm ready to try something new. It was like something happened, something external to you changed your life changed. And then how did you change your perspective as a result and find and implement it to find a different kind of success? Yeah. Like it's not like resilience. When, it's different. Yes. No, I know exactly what you're talking about because you almost have to like redefine, rewrite and like redirect like where you're going sort of, even if you're staying in your field and you're not completely making a career change, you almost have to like helicopter view of like, why did I start this in the first place? Or why am I passionate about what I'm passionate about in the first place? And if that you can pull out that mission, I think it's easier to feel like confident in your day to day and what you're doing. I think that's right. And I think that a lot of times when people have to make a change or feel like it's ready for a change, they jump right to whatever the product is. Yeah. The, the business is. And like, let me try this out. And like, there's actually a couple steps that should happen before that. Like, I feel like I keep getting this one mom in particular keeps coming up to me and being like, I haven't been working, but I think I want to open a yoga studio. Like, can you give me some advice about it? And I'm like, well, that I don't know about, but what are you trying to get out of this experience? Like, do you yeah. want to own and staff a business? Like, do you want to do yoga? Do you want to be in a more connect, like a place with more connection with people where you have those kind of loose, casual connections all on a regular basis? Like, yeah. like, what are the things that you're trying to get out of it? And then figure out your bandwidth. And your bandwidth means everything from financial to your time, to your energy, to your child's care. Like, be super realistic about that. And so the thing that you want to do, like the big goal that you might want to get to that might not be realistic for what your life right now, but yeah. you can put steps in place to figure out how to get there or isolate that thing that you want. Like, is it the connections? Is it the business ownership? Is it the brand building for yourself? Like isolate that and try and look for a different form. Like Such figure a out a different point. way to get to it right now. Yeah. Like lead with your mission and also lead with like what you feel you need. And I think you did that. Like that was really smart because obviously, because your podcast is so successful, but like you needed more inspiration and motivation and examples of women who are doing exactly what you had to do. Not only because it's like inspiration, but because there's like a comfort there, like that keeps pushing you to continue on. And I think like, same for me, like starting my podcast, like I wanted to hear people's stories of where they started and where they are now, because you get to see the progression of ups and downs and how people continue to push forward. And so yeah. I think if you try to like choose something like to focus on, whether it's a pivot or a new business idea that you want that doesn't exist, it's easier to kind of like execute. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's totally right. Look, I think that's why we've been successful with the podcast is because there is a, like the sorry, this will really make you laugh what I'm doing today. Um, <laughs> a, a guy just texted me, we're taking my kids to go do um, a pretend mermaid launch. <laughs> and apparently there is a, I let me put my computer on <laughs> do not disturb. It's okay. I don't have anything on do not disturb ever, which is why I just got a call. I'm like, <laughs> if I put my phone on do not disturb, I will forget to turn it back on. And then I'll be like, what's going on? <laughs> Okay. Apparently our pretend mermaid launch into the ocean is not going to work out tonight. Okay. Oh gosh. So. 
Are you going to have to pivot and step in as a mermaid? We, we already pivoted this morning where the lifeguards couldn't no, so he, couldn't make it. So I was going to dress as a lifeguard and be one oh. of the two lifeguards to toss this grown adult in a mermaid tail into the ocean. Wow. But now it sounds like we're going to have to pivot days. Okay. I'm like, is this what I have to look forward to? But honestly, this is why I like being a parent now is because I think these things are fun. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of left my day-to-day life as an adult. And now I get to do them again. I think it's so funny because one of the fears I think people have about like, pivoting their career or having children and like incorporating this like whole new identity is that they're scared of like the mundanity of life but like if you're authentic about it and actually figure out ways that it's going to fulfill you like a mermaid launch thing like that's authentically like awesome and funny and like it's not mundane and it's cool and like I think people scare themselves out of like actual authentic opportunities that are going to give them joy because they're scared of their life changing. And they're scared of other people looking, honestly. Like people are just like scared of other people like looking and judging them and like that doesn't really yeah. factor into my like, decision making. The theater kids. Obviously the theater kids are not scared of that. <laughs> exactly. We're just trying to find attention all the time. <laughs> We're doing a mermaid performance this afternoon. <laughs> That's so funny. So you have you moved from the political podcast to this obviously because it felt right in where yeah. you were in the space. How did you get all of these crazy guests? Because I saw in your intro, you have interviewed Sophia Bush. You've interviewed like Hillary Clinton, What Nick Jonas's wife. What is her name? Priyanka. How? How does this happen? I'm a real hustler. I got to tell you. I love I, it. I'm taking all of the energy that I, ha- that I put towards running national political campaigns towards essentially booking guests. I I'm- love that because I'm a big hustler too. So now I'm going to have to pick your brain about that because how old is this podcast? It's not that old. It's, no, it's not fairly even new. Yeah. Yeah. So did you just like hit the ground running and then like use your connections and get people on and then it's just grown from there? Because you're in partnership with Marie Claire too, right? Yeah. I mean, that was a part of it. Like I felt like you know, people had heard my voice through cable news, but that was always such a specific, like, content. Like, it was, it was political commentary. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't anything about me, my life. Like, I didn't really know if people would be interested in hearing anything I had to say personally and in long form and, like, not having to do with politics. So I did feel like I needed a media partner to start it, to be able to validate me in, like, a like a lifestyle space that yeah. wasn't, or like a career space that wasn't politics. Um, I had some media contacts because over the last couple of years, I had written articles like busy, like how busy moms can engage in elections, like those kind of articles that come out every yeah. year. So I went and I pitched them all, but like I do a lot of research and I do a lot of prep. So I, you know, when I, it, half of it is having the connection, maybe less than half of it is having the connection. I'd say most of it is that I came in very well prepared. And and I did this, honestly, every job I had in politics, almost every job they created for me. It wasn't like a job opening that I applied to. And I took the same tactic to it is that if I come, if I've done my research on you, the company, the business, the organization, whatever it is. And I can make the pitch of how I am uniquely qualified to help take you to something that I see that you're missing. Now it has occurred to you 
And now you will judge every other candidate against me. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the things that keep people back from actually getting to the next level is just them not asking. I feel like a lot of the work I've gotten and a lot of the clients and relationships I've built are just because I sent an email and it was like very minimal effort. Like people are always like- But a well-prepared email. Well-prepared. I used to get a lot of outreach from people- who were like, oh, I saw you on LinkedIn. You went to my college. I want to get coffee with you. And they hadn't, I don't think they had read my LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. And it was a massive waste of my time. And I would help them zero. I was like, well, there's yeah. really not a point for us talking. And I was, you don't even know what you want from me. You don't even know what you want from me. And like, you're just checking a box. Someone told you to get coffees and do networking. But somebody yeah. who came in well prepared, I was like, okay, well, now I know that you're a hard worker and you have my attention. Like yeah. I make calls for you. Yeah, I agree with that. You have to go in like actually, and I feel like it's so funny because to me, I'm like, it's just basic, but like a lot of people, I guess, don't know that. And I just think like showing up authentically and actually showing that you care about something is like kind of rare, but a lot of it is outreach. Like people don't even think like, oh, how could I get that person on? It's like, why don't you ask? For each of the guests, like I was not just persistent, but I was very clear on how I had done the research on what they yeah. were working on these days and I was on, you know, currently working on. And so I was very clear about how I would be of benefit to them because yeah. their thesis and their whatever they're promoting is aligned with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get pitches all the time from publicists that write like, dear XXX, you know, like they've done like yeah. no research <laughs> and like, don't check. Like, I really do think that email etiquette, professionalism, following up quickly, following up with thank you notes. Like, I think that that is, unfortunately, people are thinking they're not necessary and like things don't get handed to you, you know, yeah. like if you want to hustle, you got to be on top of it. I think it sets you apart too. It shows you care. And when you reach out to someone, like there's always like there, people always know that it's because you want something from them in a sense. Like you don't need to like exuberate that. Like if I'm emailing you about you coming on my podcast, like you already know that I'm asking you to do a favor for me. So what can I like bring to you? That's going to make it worth it. And I think people always want to add some type of value to, you know, their platform by being somewhere else or like doing business with someone. There's so many influencers too, who are being like, can I work with you? It's like how, what's going to set you apart. And I think being able to be like, I saw that you're working on this launch for the company. I want to do this, 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 and that, like cut the workout for people. Yeah. Like make it easy for them to say yes. Yeah, totally. And and I think that goes for resumes as well. I got great advice when I was working in politics about my resume is that your resume should fit the job that you are applying for. So keep yeah. one long master resume that has everything on it and then alter it for every job that you apply to. And by the way, if you're under 40, it has to be one page. You have to know what is relevant to this job and what is not. Like I hired so many like first and second jobs and I was like, you are still in college. You do not need five pages. I'm sorry, you don't. I don't need to know which clubs you're in. <laughs> like, we don't, we don't no, care. <laughs> no, no. You have like the basic resume of like every other person I've seen. So show me why it stands out. And you can't, yeah. you are not showing me that you have a humility to be able to do this job if you think that I need five pages of your high school clubs. That's good. Yeah, so true. <laughs> okay, so as someone who's pivoted a lot, like, how did you know when the timing was right? Like, is there a right time? Did you just go for it? Was there a moment where you're like, okay, I need to do this now? Or was it a gradual thing? 
Um, it was hard for me to let go of the political stuff. It was really hard. Like I kept, I'd say I was kind of forced out of it. Like in, okay. I, I can't, I don't think that it was like great aha moment where I was like, now I pivot. It was like, okay, this is really not working. Like yeah. I'm getting crushed here. Like this is really not working. Yeah. Um, so I think that was more it that, I mean, I even like I took a, a consulting job for the last couple of weeks of the election in 2020 thinking like, okay, this is my push. Like I'm going to be able to do this. And then the day after I signed the contract in the first last weeks of the election, and remember this is pre-vaccine COVID. Wow. Yeah. We were exposed to COVID. Oh. <laughs> and so we had isolated with our three kids and I was like, oh well, that was a giant disaster. So like, I'm still overcommitted. <laughs> oh my God. My kids were in, I mean, my kids are already in like every Zoom that I do basically, but they were like in every shot. Um, so funny. So, you know, I wouldn't say there was like a great aha moment. It was just like, this isn't working for me right now. And when I say that I go through like the constant reevaluation of like, what am I trying to get out of this and what system is working or not working? I'm constantly doing it. Like even with my own podcast, yeah. like how many episodes should a season be? You know, like how much can I take on right now? I think those are hard questions to like ask yourself too. Like, is there a way you like, is it just like something you do in your head? Is it like a time thing you cut out like in your routine? I did want to ask you about your routine too, since you're so busy. My schedule is pretty chaotic and I drink more yeah. coffee than any person alive. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> um, I'd say we do, we do a weekly team meeting. And okay. go over just like an overview. And I think, and we've actually now recently added a section at the end, sort of like a, um, like an idea section. Like, how do we That's feel cool. like we're doing? Do we have new ideas? Do we want to brainstorm on things? And I think through that, it kind of forces the reevaluation. But also like the beginning of planning of every season is a natural yeah. moment to evaluate if we feel like we're doing the right thing. But also now, I mean, you know, we've really, we've perfected the system, I would say, of creating the podcast. And that's actually allowed me to go into new ventures as well. So I'm doing theater producing and real estate. Love it. Like that's, that's opened so cool. up new avenues for me too. I feel like you're kind of doing a little bit of it all, which is like very inspiring because I'm that person that has like a lot of passions and I want to make sure I'm like getting the most out of life. How do you like balance? There's a lot of opinions on like work-life balance or like too much hustle. Where do you sit on that scale? Well, I mean, this is not for everyone, but like, this is for me. Like I have no balance. Like I just okay. push all the time. The most while my kids are in school, then I do the most with them when they're out of school. Yeah. And then every couple of weeks to months, I burn out and I either get super sick or I just kind of become like totally depleted and have to like lie in bed for a day. You're so um, real for this. <laughs> That's how I am too. <laughs> like I have no wellness routine. <laughs> like I get a lot of like wellness product samples, like marketing events all summer. Gotta long. love PR. <laughs> and then I have no idea what to do with them because I have like <laughs> no routine. <laughs> Look, I mean, it's not for everyone, but like, this is for, that's what it is for me. Like, it's just yeah. not, I, I had kind of a downshift when I was forced out of the only work that I knew how to do and yeah. it didn't bring me a lot of happiness. So working is what, what makes me feel fulfilled and satisfied. And yeah, I'd rather push through it all. And oh, I also don't go to bed very late. I go to bed very early. I'm the same way. I feel like it's just about like what your priorities are. I yeah. think like if it, what brings you happiness is like working and like doing all the things like do it. And then like, obviously burnout is just human, 
but I'm kind of the same way. I feel like there's this weird, like new culture thing where people are like hustle culture is toxic. And it's just like hustle culture is authentic to me though. And so therefore it's not toxic. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like this, this is what makes me happy. And yeah, you know, I have high intensity and I, and honestly not everyone can handle it. And I don't really need them. What would you say to like someone who's maybe like thinking about having kids, but they're like scared because they're so career oriented? Um, I would say that it, your career may not look the same. Like uh, that uncertainty of like, is it going to look exactly the same? Like it's probably not, but it can provide different kinds of opportunities. Like I was able to interview Hillary Clinton. I was able to interview Vice President Kamala Harris. I was able to interview Priyanka Jonas. None of those things would have happened had I stayed in the same career. Yeah. And and I still am sad that I don't have my political career. Like, I can't deny that that is not true, but I've gotten all these different opportunities. And my friends who are still in politics thinks that they think it looks like I have the most balanced life because, like, I'm not... <laughs> in the daily minutia and in the daily grind and the stuff that was burning me out working in it, I can choose how much I'm into it or out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that people just have a hard time letting go of like their picture of what they think is supposed to happen. And like, that's literally life. It's like the hardest, one of the hardest things to do, which is surrender. You make a good point. Like there's a lot of things that you have to look forward to that you don't even know are in store for you. They're not even in your contemplation. Yeah. But that's insane. I can't believe that you just had like three kids back to back. No, it's crazy. It looks like I have triplets everywhere I go. <laughs> um, I was in her, I was just editing our episode that's coming out with a Holocaust survivor, which is wow. so heavy. Honestly, with every edit, we keep crying through it. Oh my god. And one of the things that's so incredible about her is that she got her PhD at age 50. Wow. She had her master's degree and she was encouraged to get a PhD. And she said, no, that's crazy. I wouldn't finish the PhD until I'm 50. And her advisor said, well, you're going to be 50 either way. So you might as well have the PhD with it. That's so good. And I was like, that really hits. Yeah, it does. Because I think even like with my, like the younger generation too, like I'm in my, I'm in my late twenties. And I'm so incredibly hard on myself and I like it. It pushes me. I, I like that about myself, but I think life is so long and there's so much time to do exactly what you want to do. And there's all, it's never too late to do something either. And so I shouldn't have anxiety about that at all. That's like so inspiring. Yeah, it, that's totally true. Like I felt like I was supposed to have hit these benchmarks at certain points in my twenties and in my, and in my thirties, like probably in my early thirties, by my mid thirties, I was pregnant and a mess. Then I I couldn't think about (laughs) it. It was over. (laughs) Then it was all over for me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I felt like I was like supposed to have hit these things. Um, And yeah, life is long. Like it's, it's going to change. Like things are going to, like they're going to change either way. So you can decide to lean into it or kind of live in denial about it, but it's going to change either way. Yeah. Life is going to continue on. So the worrying is like not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's why I don't like hold a lot of anxiety around things because the things are going to happen either way, whether I obsess about it or not. Looking back just like on everything you've been through, how do you see it? I always ask people at the end of episodes, like 
looking back on the journey, how do you see it? I think a lot of people can see like the beginning of the journey and everything they went through and all the hardship and confusion. What would you say to someone who's now like in the midst of it? I mean, my first pregnancy, like being so sick in my first pregnancy, I would say was really like defined the next couple of years because then I was essentially pregnant for five years. Like I was pregnant back to back. Um, and so that I'd say was, it's, it's a big chunk of time, you know, like I, I, yeah. that, that was probably the thing that really shifted for me. And it, part of what was hard is at the time I knew it was shifting and there was nothing I could do about it. That I'd say I did yeah. have a lot of anxiety in that moment. Like you felt um, out of control. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. I felt out of control and I knew it. Um, but I'd also say like on the long tail is that just sort of figuring out how, like what service for me looks like, like what it means like for me to be in service of others, whether it's changing laws, whether it's getting an education to be able to do this work, whether it's work on culture change through storytelling now, that I'd say is the driving factor of my life. And the fact that it has to change in its form constantly is an overarching theme. I always tell people like, you just got to roll with the punches. Like my dad was like, love him very like not sensitive though and I remember growing up he'd always be like rub some dirt on it like I don't know what to tell you like whenever I'd get hurt or whatever and it's kind of funny because like as I've gone older I'm like so thankful for that in some aspects because I just feel like you just have to keep rolling with the punches like life is just it's never it doesn't give up ever I mean I have to be honest I think that like the parenting philosophies that are in vogue right now I think are not setting children up for success. I think they yeah. are too gentle. And I think it's actually not good for kids because they don't have that kind of resilience. They think everything's going to work out for them. Yeah. I'm much more like a rub dirt on it kind of parent. Me too. I feel like there's a way to be emotionally available and like there for someone vulnerably and like promote healthy communication and also be like, stop crying and keep going. Like there needs to be a balance. And I think the, our society kind of does this pendulum thing where it's like never a happy medium. It's always like, we're so intensely going to be like talking about mental health and so intensely like going to be so soft on everyone, or we're going to be the complete opposite. And we need to find like a balance of being able to be like, I think real with ourselves about our feelings, what we're going through, where we've been and where we are now and kind of promote that healing journey, but also kind of be like, suck it up and keep going. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's beneficial to kids to not tell them that to some yeah. degree, like you can feel your feelings. You can have all the feelings you want, like, but how much do you want it to hold you up in the end? Like yeah. that's only for you to decide. Yeah. I think the, the pity party isn't supposed to last long. And I think that's the problem. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I always say like I get I tell people like whenever I'm having like a hard day or like I have my burnout I give myself like the pity party and then it, I don't let it go into the next day like it's not allowed to because it will just continue on and we could always find a reason to pout every single day life is hard but I yeah. think like when you're driven and you have goals and there's like a mission and I think that's why it's so important to lead with mission because if you're leading with other stuff, like you're going to burn out so quickly. But if you're leading with like a mission, that's what you need to use to keep going. Yeah. I think especially if the thing that's driving you is like comparison to others or like approval by others, like you're never going to get it, you know, yeah. like they're going to, they're going to burn you out. There was, you know, a long time in my career that I was so worried that people were talking about me negatively. And then I actually found out they were. And once I found, and it was very painful and very difficult. And once I, but, but it was also incredibly freeing that I was like, I made so many choices and decisions 
trying to avoid this and I still couldn't avoid it. So fuck them. Like, then I'm not going to let that drive me anymore. Like now I'm actually just going to do what I want and what makes me happy as opposed to like waiting for approval from others. I always tell people that too, especially in this space. I think like you're just up for criticism always. It's like people are not going to like what you do no matter what. Like no, like everyone's always going to be unhappy. There's no point in making yourself unhappy by doing something like not in alignment with you and like what you're doing. Yeah, totally. And it may not be popular and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. But like then you can live with yourself. If you do something that is both not popular and you didn't want to do it, that yeah, sucks. then it really hurts. <laughs> Yeah, because you're violating just who you are in your conscience, and it's just not cute. It's not a, yeah. not a cute moment. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. This has been such a cool, inspiring conversation. I'm very inspired by you. You're a total, as they say, boss babe. Um, <laughs> like I'm getting too old now. I'm like, no. so, I'm like, I don't even know what the kids are saying these days. But thank you so, so much. If you could drop your socials in the podcast so that people can follow along and check out your episodes. Yes. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's She Pivots the Podcast. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, And our handle on Instagram is She Pivots the Podcast. So you can find it there too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you leave here feeling motivated and inspired. Do not forget to rate and review the pod on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to follow How I See It Pod so you can keep up with podcast updates and see who's coming on next. And if you're not already, come join the fam and follow at How Hand Sees It. Thank you guys. <laughs>